Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Coming up today, we have a lot to cover, a lot of things going on. Busy, busy time. We have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer will be joining us. Numbers are down in January despite the uh, the market rally. We'll go over that information. Also, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will be with us. Lots going on on the biofuels front here, and we have some international news as well. And um, also we have, uh, everything seems to be more and more about uh, climate policy and how that's going to impact different parts of our lives. Certainly agriculture is going to be impacted by this. And uh, there's a new study out, and we'll talk with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, one of the groups uh, participating in this, showing and uh, detailing how the use of precision ag technology can help farmers in this area. new climate effort what's not new it's been going on for some time how to uh, farm in ways that are sustainable uh, help the environment and can help farmers financially as well so we'll take a look at that information coming up later in the program we're going to start it off today with todd neely with dtn todd good to talk with you no shortage of things to talk about that's for sure Um, one of the stories i know that you've been uh, writing about there's a house investigation launched now on meatpacking plants and how they handled COVID. Uh, what's the latest on that? Well, yeah, Mike, uh, we've got a select committee of the house, a subcommittee uh, that's been designated to look at the coronavirus crisis. And uh, its first salvo that was uh, fired on Monday was that uh, it had asked for a number of documents, other information uh, from a number of meatpacking companies, including Tyson, uh, Smithfield and JBS USA, uh, they're basically going to start looking into the way meatpacking plants responded uh, to the virus outbreak in terms of protecting workers. Um, you know, we had quite a few uh, meatpacking plant workers who tested positive for COVID in the past year, at least 50,000 or more. Um, and so this committee is going to be looking at that issue, uh, and it's also going to be looking at uh, OSHA and how it's responded uh, to, the, to the pandemic. Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth on this in terms of, um, you know, we've had lawsuits that have been directed at, at some of these companies, uh, you know, on behalf of workers. Uh, we've had families who have filed lawsuits of, of uh, you know, family members who have died from the virus working at these plants. And so uh, this committee's launched, uh, launched an investigation into all this. And, uh, to see where it goes and, and, you know, in the long term, how it might affect uh, how meatpacking plants can operate. Yeah, we'll see where that goes for sure and <laughs> what comes out of it. Meanwhile, talking about legal action, what's the latest in this uh, uh, ethanol case versus ADM? Well, yeah, Mike, you know, we had a, we've had a number of companies now, I think we're up to eight or nine, uh, that have filed antitrust lawsuits against ADM claiming that uh, the company had essentially manipulated the market to affect prices and so on. Um, we have a group of six ethanol companies that, that joined in this, and they filed their own separate lawsuits. 
Um, and we've got a deadline coming up on Wednesday uh, for these ethanol companies to file a response to ADM's request to dismiss the case. Uh, so far, we haven't seen this uh, in the other cases, uh, and we're still waiting to see if the court actually moves forward and combines all the cases into one. Um, we had a lawsuit filed by Green Plains uh, that was very similar against ADM. That case has moved from Nebraska to Illinois, uh, so there is some suggestion that all these cases are going to be combined, um, and we'll see where it goes. I know these uh, six ethanol companies that just filed not that long ago, uh, they're up against it here because ADM is claiming that it does not uh, control enough of the market you know, to basically, uh, to basically have a monopoly, and so... Uh, we'll wait and see what happens. You know, uh, we talk a lot about climate issues. We're going to talk a lot more about those, it looks like, in the uh, weeks and months, probably years ahead. And I was just thinking about, mm-hmm. um, you, you look at the story of the backlash over closing down the Keystone XL pipeline project and people yeah. losing their jobs. You hear about General Motors saying they're going to stop making, uh, you know, uh, engines using uh, fossil fuels. Uh, and I, I just wrote down something I'm going to kind of be looking at, I think, and talk about more in the future. Energy evolution or revolution? Uh, I mean, the, it may be an evolution, right. but it, it may create a revolution in the process. Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting because uh, I think what we're going to see with this Biden administration, you know, we've already seen uh, a move toward electric vehicles in the federal fleet. Uh, you know, electric vehicles are, are coming along, but they're not, you know, they're not really ready for the prime time. They really haven't uh, gone into mass production. You know, people, a lot of people still don't really know much about them. Uh, really, there's not a lot of ownership. And so, you know, it's an interesting point. I think the Biden administration seems to really be putting its pedal to the metal uh, on this electric vehicle front. And I, and I think you're right. I think we're going to see uh, some dramatic changes coming in the years ahead, in the next four years at least. Uh, I don't know where that's going to go. I, I still think ethanol um, probably is going to play a fairly big role in all this and other biofuels. Um, but, yeah, it feels like it's a it's a giant shove into uh, a revolution, you know. Um, yeah, because you about think about it, Todd. Yeah. I mean, you talk, you think about it, Todd, to do something like that. I mean, you could debate whether it's the right thing to do or not. But yeah. if you're going to do something like that, the the remake of the infrastructure system for powering our vehicles, that alone, I mean, it's one thing to get everybody on electric vehicles, even if they're available, but then you have to have the yeah. infrastructure to support that. I mean, that that's a massive undertaking. It is, you know, and as the ethanol industry has found out along the way, it's not an easy transition. Uh, you know, they've been fought all the, all the way when it comes to infrastructure on the 85 and, and uh, you know, flex fuel vehicles and all these things. Um, and we've seen that despite the fact that, you know, we've had the RFS and, you know, it's, it's, it's been put in place to kind of spark a lot of these things to change over time. Uh, you're right. It's not something you can do overnight. And, and it doesn't matter what your energy source may be. Um, you know, it, it's, if you got to fill up your electric vehicle, where do you go today? You know, or, I mean, it's, uh, right. you're right. There's a lot of questions on that front. We don't have answers to. 
you know, the biofuels industry has often talked about the power of the oil industry as they've, uh, you know, butted heads with them. We may find out how just how powerful the oil industry is with this challenge to them. And here's a question I'm going to talk about with Jeff Cooper a little bit later on. Will we see some kind of an alliance between the oil industry and the biofuels industry uh, to uh, deal with this? That'll be interesting to see. Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right, Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Yeah, some fascinating questions here um, that uh, we'll be talking about for some time. Some major changes being proposed, and we'll see how this all comes about. Hey, coming up next, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, joins us. Very latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. January results down. Even with the, uh, the market rally that's been going on the barometer numbers are down from january we'll talk about that next stay with us you're listening to aoa hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture don't go away more adams on agriculture coming right up Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. What's the message here you're trying to get out to uh, retailers about offering E15 to motorists? After a couple of rounds of uh, funding from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for infrastructure is that most of those stations that did not receive any money from these HPIB grant programs should know that they can probably use their existing equipment to sell E15. And that's very different from the message that they've been fed from the oil industry and even from regulators over the last several years. The most recent thing that happened is just at the end of the last administration, they issued a proposed rule to change the labeling requirements and compatibility requirements for offering E15. There's good stuff in there and there's some stuff that probably doesn't need to be in there, but it's a 90-day comment period, and we want to make sure the retailers take a look at those things and tell us what needs to be in there that isn't and what's in there that doesn't need to be. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. 
Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The latest Ag Economy Barometer numbers, the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, the latest numbers for January are now out, and joining us with those numbers is Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. Michael, thanks for joining us. I am surprised that the January numbers are down, considering the fact that market prices have been up. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a story behind that, of course. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the Ag Economy Barometer in January, it, it stood at 167. That compares to a value of 183 in October, and I'll talk about why I think uh, why I think it's lower uh, today compared to October, even though prices have continued to increase. But before I talk about that, uh, the current index is is identical to what it was last January before COVID hit. So that that's kind of interesting, I think. But the main reason why the January uh, index is, is lower than October is related to is related to the index of future expectations. Uh, we have two sub indices: the index of current conditions, index of future expectations. The index of current conditions remains at relatively high levels because of the strong prices, particularly corn and soybean, but also wheat and other commodities. Uh, however, the index of future expectations, the second part of of the ag economy barometer is quite a bit lower in January compared to October. Uh, it stands right around 150, where that index was 185 in October. And so what's going on here is people are, are, are very optimistic about what's going on currently uh, and in the next year, but they're less optimistic uh, about uh, uh, prospects uh, looking five years out. Well, that is interesting. It's, a, it's like... Because I, I kind of tied a lot of these uh, numbers. I, I figured, boy, when the when the grain markets are up, probably the uh, the barometer number is going to be up, and this shows that's not necessarily the case. And as good as the market rally has been right now, as you point out, they're looking further down the line, aren't they? Yes, and there's two there's two categories of questions related to the index of future expectations that I think are very relevant to at least talk about. One is trade. Uh, even though we we uh, we see positive news coming out of coming coming out of China uh, with respect to to corn and soybeans in particular, uh, strong strong exports of, of corn and soybeans to China, there's less optimism about trade uh, after the election than there was before the election. So part of what's going on there, I think, is there's just uncertainty how the new administration, the Biden administration, is going to handle trade with China. Now, once some of that uncertainty gets resolved, perhaps uh, they'll be a little bit more comfortable about where we're where we're heading long term with trade. The other big category of questions we've been asking here for the last two or three months are related to, related to environmental regulations and taxes. And uh, respondents are are clearly indicating that they expect more restrictive environmental regulations and higher income and estate taxes uh, in the Biden administration uh, than they did uh, before the election. And so, and so that's really uh, putting, a, putting, a, damp, uh, put, putting uh, a, a damper, if you will, on, on uh, future expectations. 
Yeah, definitely concern about those areas. We're talking with Purdue Ag economist Michael Langmeyer. Now, farmers do remain optimistic about farmland values. That's definitely the case. I mean, optimism regarding land value in the next 12 months continues to increase. Uh, this, this last go-around, 43%, you know, 43% of the respondents they indicated they thought land value is going to increase in the next 12 months. That was sitting right around 10% last summer. And so obviously the stronger prices have really translated into stronger cash rents and stronger land values. Uh, you know, land values looking five years out is about the same. Uh, I, 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 when you look at the, the survey respondents in the last several months, again, indicating that they're a little less optimistic about uh, you know, five years out compared to the next year. Interesting. Uh, you ask different questions, uh, some different questions each time, and, and you ask about uh, getting vaccinated for COVID uh, in this survey. What do they say? Yes, there was, uh, the, the, uh, the percent that said they were not going to vaccinate is, is lower uh, in January than it has been the last several months. Uh, less than 30 percent uh, indicate they're not going to get vaccinated. More importantly, uh, the percent that say they're going to get vaccinated as soon as they can uh, has went from about 40 percent uh, three, four months ago to close to 60% in January. And so as we get closer and closer to being able to be vaccinated, I think people are, are going to line up and, and, and want to become vaccinated. Um, how does this translate? Uh, you talked about, you know, the the difference between short-term optimism and long-term uh, I don't know if you want to say pessimism, but at least doubts long-term. Uh, how does this uh, play out as far as what they're willing to do in making large investments of uh, purchases right now? Well, it's kind of a mixed bag, and I think what's going on, we talked about this in the past, but I think what's going on is, is you have some people that, are, that have pretty strong working capital coming out of 2020, and, and so, so certainly there's a group of people that, are, that, have, that purchased machinery in 2020 or thinking about purchase. Uh, machinery in 2021, uh, you have another group of people that probably still haven't built back their working capital uh, to what it was, you know, three, four, five years ago, and so a little bit more hesitant. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Having said that, the Farm Capital Investment Index, which kind of tracks, uh, you know, tracks uh, this particular issue, is at an all-time high, uh, but it is still is below 100, meaning that there's there's quite a few people out there that are that are hesitant. Uh, to 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 uh, say that this is a good time to invest in machinery, uh, and so certainly certainly uh, you know, how 2021 uh, turns out financially is going to be very important, uh, you know, with regard to capital purchases. And and so my guess is if if 2021 remains uh, a fairly strong profitability like 2020, uh, we'll see we'll see uh, some increases in, in capital purchases in 2021. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, even though this has been a good run now of improved prices, there was a run of several years of a depressed ag economy before that. So it's going to take a while uh, to bounce back from that. Yeah, and you have you have people that really need to replace machinery because it's wearing out, and so you do have those people. But it, to really bring those people in uh, that are looking at expanding and, 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 and buying machinery to do so, it's going to take – it's going to take two, three years in a row of strong profitability to really increase their purchases. I think it's interesting, too, that you, you said this January's numbers are similar to last January before the pandemic. So what does that tell us that after all we've gone through this year, we're kind of back where we were? Yes, isn't that amazing? Uh, but, but, that, 
But the good news is, is it, we, they, there was a lot of pessimism, as you know, in the spring and the summer, and so and so certainly the, 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 uh, today is, is so much different than what what it looked like uh, in the summer, and and that, that of course improved 2020 profitability, but the prospects for 2021 uh, look pretty good. Yeah, so we will see. I, I, I think it's interesting that, that really the story that you've told us here from these numbers is is a, is really two stories, right? I mean, short-term, long-term. I, I think that's very interesting how farmers are looking at this. Yeah, and I think that's going to continue until until we get some of these issues resolved, it, until we find out a little bit more, uh, you know, it, it, are there going to be increased environmental regulations? Are we going to see some changes in taxes? And then on the trade side, uh, the more information we could uh, we could gather uh, from the Biden administration regarding uh, you know trade policy with China would be very helpful. Uh, it, it, and I think trade I think trade would be a big driver. Even if we had even if we had continued concerns about environment and 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 taxes, if 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 they were more comfortable that we were going to continue to be able to trade with China like we have the last several months, that would really improve the long term outlook. Yeah, I understand the skepticism there. I mean, because of the uh, when you're dealing with China, there are so many unknowns, and then you have a change of administration and different policies so that that adds to it. It's, it's almost like you're saying, it, "Yeah." It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean the policy is going to be worse or better. It just means anytime there's uncertainty, you've got people, you know, people hesitating to make long-run decisions, and and uh, and so even though the land prices, the land values, and people indicate that land values are going to increase. Uh, you know, quite a bit in the next year. I think a lot of people are going to be are still not going to be in the market to buy land. They're going to be very hesitant uh, to be in that market just because of that, because of those those doubts uh, regarding where we're going to be five years from now. Yeah, it's like we like what we're seeing right now, but we're not sure how long it's going to last. So that's interesting. Yeah, Michael, thanks a lot. We'll talk last. to. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk to you next month and see what the numbers say then. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, take care. Uh, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmire, yeah, the two stories coming out of this month's uh, Ag Barometer. Um, optimism right at the moment. They like what they're seeing. Farmers like what they're seeing with the rally, but uh, they want to wait and see just uh, how long this might last. All right, coming up next, so many things with the renewable fuels industry right now. We've got some things happening on the trade front. We've got some uh, legal issues to talk about, and we've got this push away from fossil fuels and more towards battery-powered electric vehicles. What does that mean for the renewable fuels industry? And could we be seeing some sort of an alliance in this battle between the oil industry and renewable fuels? We'll talk about that next with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, 
your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. After setting another new contract high on Monday, corn futures are being pressured hard early Tuesday. There is no exception for the soybean contracts as well, as we see sharply lower futures this morning. For the past two out of the last four trading days, Kansas City and Chicago wheat are down. Paris milling wheat futures have now plunged for the last four days. Pressured by fund selling and indications, Russian farmers have sold more wheat ahead of the export tax doubling in March. Wheat appears to be on the downward path. On the Board of Trade Minneapolis Spring Wheat March, trading five and a half cent lower at six seventeen and a half cent. Kansas City Wheat March down seven and a half cent at six seventeen and three quarters. Chicago Wheat March down nine and three quarters at six forty one and a quarter. Looking at soybean futures, the March contract down twenty one and three quarters at thirteen forty three and a half cent. The May contract down twenty two at thirteen forty and three quarters. March corn down seven at at 5.42 and a quarter, the May contract down six and three quarters at 5.41 and three quarters. Livestock futures did not perform as well as hoped on yesterday's trading session. However, underlining fundamentals do not suggest a complete change in trend. Strong box beef and increased pork cutouts should keep the market supported. However, there is uncertainty over increased cash prices this week. April live cattle trading 70 cents higher at 122.40. The June contract up 50 cents at 118.75. Feeder cattle March a dollar 27 higher at 139.25. The April contract up a dollar 12 at 142.20. Lean hogs the April contract up 12 at 75.62. The May contract unchanged at 80.42. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 457 points. The Nasdaq composite up 142. The S&P 500 up 50. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have a lot to talk about with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Some uh, short-term, some long-term issues. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Let's start with uh, the latest news 
concerning a case against ethanol duties in Peru. What can you tell us? Well, we, yeah, we got some good news out of Peru uh, earlier this week, and, and the decision there uh, is that they are reversing uh, an earlier decision to impose import duties on U.S. ethanol going into Peru. Uh, Peru, as you might know, has been a rapidly emerging market uh, for us over the past several years, and we began to export a fair amount of, of fuel ethanol uh, to that country, and then they slapped this uh, import tax on us and it really put the brakes on our exports to that marketplace. So, uh, you know, the, the, the body that, that uh, reviewed uh, that tariff and, you know, looked at our challenge of that tariff, uh, sided with us, and they will be reversing uh, that import tax, and, and that should really reopen that market to our product. You know, it's been a, a 40 or 50 million gallon a year market, and uh, we desperately need demand right now, so uh, very excited to, to hopefully get back into, the, into Peru in, in a big way. On the topic of exports, how significant was China's recent purchase of ethanol? Oh, it's, it's hugely significant, and I think it's uh, going to go a long way to shoring up the supply-demand imbalance that we've seen in the marketplace uh, over the past 18 months or or a few years, actually, um, it's you know having the door swing back open in China is a significant development. Um, you know they were once our third leading uh, market uh, in 2017. They brought in about 200 million gallons of of U.S. ethanol. Uh, what we're hearing is that they have committed to purchase that amount just in the first half of 2021. Uh, so if that becomes a a three or four hundred million gallon market annually uh, and, and then continues to grow beyond that. I, I mean, that's, that's what we've been waiting for and, and, and working on for the last few years is to get back into that market. Um, so I, I think, you know, you look at the strength in the ethanol market uh, today and, and certainly the, that announcement uh, that China's back in the market is, is uh, definitely responsible in part for some of the strength we're starting to see in, in margins again. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Jeff, let's switch now to big picture here. General Mm -hmm. Motors says it will stop making gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles by 2035. How do you react to that, and what does that mean for the ethanol industry? Well, I guess the the first reaction is we're not putting too much stock in that announcement, Mike. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that GM is, is trying to score some quick political points with the new administration. Uh, everybody's focused on reducing carbon emissions. Everybody's focused on electric vehicles right now. So it was, you know, a politically expedient thing for, for GM to say, if you look at how they announced it, they said this is an aspirational goal. Uh, it's not something that is set in stone and, and, you know, it's something they're going to try to do. And, and we've certainly seen those sorts of aspirational goals from from GM and other automakers before it wasn't too long ago that they aspired that half of their output would be flex fuel vehicles right and they they never made it there and and they're nowhere close to that today Um, so these sorts of things kind of come and go with the political wins Um, you know but that doesn't mean we're we're being totally dismissive of this it is uh, significant and I think it, it should serve as a bit of a wake up call uh, to us that we need to you know put our best foot forward. The, the the whole reason for this announcement by GM is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, right, and, and pursue that path toward net zero emissions by 2050. 
well, we've got a solution that can do that right now, and it's ethanol. And we don't need to wait until 2050 or 2035. We need to increase the amount of ethanol in our gas, uh, and we'll see immediate greenhouse gas reductions. And, and so, um, you know, we need to get out there more broadly and more aggressively with that message that uh, we have a solution that can do what GM is aspiring to do with, with electric vehicles. We can do that today. Okay, this hits right on what we have discussed for some time. We knew this mm -hmm. push was coming for these climate policies and these changes to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The question for the renewable fuels industry was going to be, would you, would they allow you, they being the, the power brokers, the policy makers, would they include biofuels and acknowledge your role in achieving this in this goal? Or were they going to bypass you and try to go straight to something else, be it electric or whatever may be. I guess we're, well, time will tell what that answer is, but that is still now the question which is becoming more and more prevalent, right? Yeah, that is correct, Mike, and I, and I think we will find out uh, fairly soon. But what we're hearing is that, uh, you know, there are members of Congress who are very interested in, uh, you know, building out the RFS and, and strengthening the RFS post-2022 in a way that really allows biofuels to uh, you know, maximize their carbon reduction benefits. We're also hearing of interest in Congress for a low carbon fuel standard at the national level that could kind of sit on top of the RFS, uh, and that would obviously uh, you know have a have a significant role for biofuels like ethanol. Um, so you know, I, I think there is an understanding that even though we're hearing these sorts of announcements from GM and, and Nissan had a similar announcement recently. Um, that, you know, we've got a ways to go before we're going to fully electrify this fleet, uh, if it ever happens. And in that interim period, we need to be doing everything we can to reduce the emissions from liquid fuels. And the best way and the lowest cost way to do that is by blending more biofuels. Okay, you know better than most um, how hard it is to, to buck heads with... Uh, uh, the oil, the oil industry. I mean, they are a formidable foe, and you, you've had your battles. You you still do. Um, mm -hmm. But let me ask you this: uh, they're not gonna they're not just gonna roll over and watch <laughs> their market just taken away from them. So they're gonna put up that resistance. There's been speculation yep. about this. Could we see some sort of an alliance between the oil industry and the biofuels industry on this? Well, I, I think it's possible, Mike. I, I think we have a long way to go before uh, there's a, a level of trust between the two industries that would be needed to, to really forge a, a partnership and, and move forward together. I mean, I, I think we know that the oil industry is not going to have much sway with a Biden administration, and they certainly know that. Uh, and they know that agriculture is going to continue to have a voice uh, with this administration. And so I think, you know, they're anxious uh, to, to get together with agriculture and, and biofuels. Um, but we need to be careful in, in, in how we, you know, uh, come together with, with those guys. We, you know, the oil industry has been trying to kill us for 40 years, Mike, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, and now they want to work together. I, I mean, you know, it's going to take some, some trust building uh, before we just, you know, jump into this effort together. And I think we'll know fairly soon if, if they are really serious in their – uh, overtures and and if they're serious about really wanting to decarbonize the fuels they're producing because again the only way that they're going to be able to do that is by using more of our product 
uh, ethanol and, and biodiesel in the case of the diesel pools. So, you know, I think they need us probably more than, than, than we need them. We produce low-carbon fuels, and they don't. Um, and we'll just, you know, we'll see how that uh, relationship evolves. Uh, but we're going into it with our, with our eyes wide open for sure. The irony is, and we've talked about this many times over the years, they should have been more of a partner all along instead of an adversary. That's right. That's exactly right, Mike, and we did. You know, we have approached the refiners, uh, you know, a decade ago, 15 years ago, and said, hey, guys, instead of fighting this, uh, you ought to get on board with the with the renewable fuel standard and with some of these other policies and with the expanded use of renewables because the only way you are going to compete as a petroleum, you know, refined products producer uh, with other low-carbon technologies that are, are emerging, whether it's electric vehicles or hydrogen fuel cells or whatever, the only way you're going to compete is by using more biofuels. So, you know, if we had gotten started on that in a legitimate way with the refiners a decade ago, uh, the threat from EVs may not be as serious as, as some uh, perceive it to be today. Hey, your virtual National Ethanol Conference is coming up. It is, yep. And we've got a great lineup. In fact, we've got a, uh, on this topic, we've got somebody from GM who's going to be speaking to our audience about uh, what their plans are and, and how biofuels do or do not fit into their future. Um, we've got a, a couple of environmental groups uh, to talk with us. We've got uh, Dan Jurgen, who I would guess most of your listeners know as, you know, a, a foremost expert on, on global energy markets. He's going to be talking about what to expect moving forward and, and coming out of the pandemic in terms of, uh, you know, world energy markets. Um, and we got lots of other sessions. We've got a session on the future of vehicle technologies, which, again, kind of fits into this discussion nicely. Um, what's happening in the retail sector, uh, you know, taking a, a look at the carbon footprint of ethanol. So we got a lot of things to talk about, very timely topics. Um, you know, it, it stinks that we got to do it virtually, but I, I think it's going to be an excellent event. The dates? Yeah, the dates are February 16th through the 18th. All right. So, so it'll be uh, spread over three days. Get registered for that. It's a virtual event, a lot of good information. A year ago, we were leaving the National Ethanol Conference, and you and I were sitting in an <laughs> airport bemoaning the fact that our Cardinals had done nothing to strengthen their lineup. We suffered through a boring <laughs> offense last year. But now Christmas has come late for us, but it's here. We got Arenado, so we're, we're excited, oh, right? Oh, man, I remember that conversation well. We've been waiting for that big move, Mike, and we finally got it. We finally got it. Yes, indeed. All right, Jeff, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Likewise. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. 
no need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're talking about taking advantage of corn and soybean price rallies with Joe Barker, who provides risk management services at CHS Hedging. Well, Joe, after seeing some good news in the grain markets recently, what should farmers be thinking or asking about right now? Well, Mike, I think they really should be focused on you know their marketing plans. Uh, this is the time of year when when we try to, you know, do the break-even analysis, or the, in this case, the uh, profitability analysis, um, they should be considering their crop insurance options, what, which insurance product they buy will play into that profitability, and they should really be thinking about their objectives. What, what is their objective this year? What revenue number hits for them? And then they can start uh, marketing towards that revenue number that they need to protect to finance the parts of their operation and, and meet their family's objectives. So what does this mean moving forward? Well, I think we're in a period of increased volatility from now uh, at least until the USDA Outlook Conference, uh, which is later in February, and then likely you know, into those March prospective planning reports and quarterly stocks numbers, we could continue to see volatility into that time period. Nobody knows what the, what the weather's going to bring. We do have significant drought conditions, uh, especially across you know, the western part of the corn regions. And so this volatility could continue for quite a while. I think farmers need to be ready for that. Producers need to be prepared for what implications that could have on, on a hedging program, if they have the cash flow to, to, to stomach that, or, or what type of products they use. Thanks, Joe. That's Joe Barker, who provides risk management services at CHS Hedging. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at Cooperative Ownership. Com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Always good to talk with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. 
There are still voices out there calling for country of origin labeling. And do you think that's going to become a big issue again? There's no doubt about it. What we continue to push for is the recognition that there are better opportunities to showcase our product, and we can do that through voluntary means. There's quite a few programs that are regional or state-based in nature. One that has been extremely successful is the Kentucky product program that's going on there, where they have worked with Kroger stores in Kentucky to have a branded program, Kentucky Beef. And that voluntary approach, we think, has more connection to that consumer than just a, a blanket government-run country of origin labeling program. We're against mandatory government labeling in regards to country of origin, but we believe that those value-added labeling programs that show some sort of origin do have value. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we talk with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, to go over the latest ag equipment sales numbers. We'll be doing that in a few days, but uh, we talk with Kurt today about uh, a study showing how Precision agriculture technology, which is available and being used by farmers today, improves environmental stewardship and provides a good economic return for farmers. And that's very much a key. Kurt, thank you for joining us. And certainly with this focus on climate policy, where does agriculture fit in? This study is very timely. You bet. Thanks for having me on, Mike, to talk about this topic, which I think is, you're right, it's incredibly interesting and incredibly timing. This project's actually been in the works for about 18 months, uh, but the timing of the release of this couldn't have been better, knowing, as you say, the uh, the new administration uh, is really uh, seems to be putting a lot of focus on environmental uh, you know, concerns and specifically looking to the ag sector as a as, as a way to uh, to address some of the climate concerns. And and our story and this study proves it is that we've kind of got this. Farmers have been the original stewards of the land for years and years. And what's even better is that we've got some technology that is, uh, you know, farmers have adopted specifically the precision ag technology. Farmers have adopted over the last, you know, five, ten years because it made sense to their farming operations. And the good news is it's got a really positive environmental story that just kind of rides along with it. So this uh, turns out to be a pretty good good win-win for, uh, for the industry and for farmers as well as for, you know, to meet some of these administration goals. It's allowing farmers to grow more by using less. Uh, tell us how this works. Give us some examples. Well, let me just sort of back up and kind of talk to the to the uh, specifics of what the study has attempted to do. So, you know, I don't need to talk to farmers on the benefits of, of saving the environment. They all know that. They're stewards of the land. We don't even need to, to talk to farmers about what precision ag is. So we really wanted to quantify the data for those that are not farmers uh, to talk about what it, what is precision agriculture and what are the benefits. And, you know, so then when we look at those kind of as an underlying principle, we can look at the really simplest, easiest one to get our hands around is auto steer guidance. And you know that, that uh, when a tractor drives itself, it drives in a straighter line. When it drives in a straighter line, it, it doesn't overlap as much. It's just sort of logical. When you begin to put that into quantifiable numbers, we're talking about some serious reduction in 
uh, overlap. We're talking about serious reduction in fuel usage. We're talking about serious, um, you know, increase in productivity because the fertilizer, herbicides, and water are used in the right places at the right time. So it's real simple. Uh, you know, this logically makes sense. And what's beautiful is when you can put some real numbers to it, it makes a real big difference in telling that story. Precision agriculture, we've been talking about it for some time now. We're seeing advances in this all the time. You bet, you bet. In fact, you know, what we tried to do with the study that we, are, uh, we released yesterday uh, was we didn't talk about the, the cutting-edge technology uh, that, is, that is sort of just entering into the market right now, such as, you know, see-and-treat uh, weed control or smart combines or, or something that involves artificial intelligence. We specifically wanted to take a look at that equipment that is out there in the market today, auto guidance, machine section control, variable rate application, fleet analytics, precision air, uh, irrigation. I mean, these are things that, that already have a pretty sizable market share in some parts of the world and a growing, uh, or in some parts of the nation, and a growing market share in other parts of the nation. And, and as you know, farmers have adopted, you know, certainly auto guidance, have adopted that technology because it made a lot of sense. You can reduce your fatigue. You can run a little bit longer. You can have good, clean, straight rolls. That was a no-brainer for a farmer. But what happens when you introduce GPS, then you open up a whole gamut of things that are at your, uh, at your fingertips uh, with the ability to you know, treat specific areas of a field and really have some precise control of, of what it is you're, you're doing to grow that crop. And, man, it's it's pretty remarkable what what uh, what that does. But again, we've been talking about this you know for a long time, but the adoption rate has just really exploded in the last five to ten years. And the key has been when it is a win-win, when the, you have the environmental stewardship aspect of it, and you have a good economic return for farmers. That's an important part of it too. They've got to stay in business. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think it was uh, the USDA secretary, previous USDA secretary, said that. Uh, you know, it's got to be a triple bottom line. It's got to be economically beneficial. It's got to be good, and it's got to be good for society. And economically beneficial, I think. Uh, you know, you know, the farmers that have adopted precision agriculture have 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 made that choice already, and and have proven that it works on their farms. And so that's why we like to talk about this uh, environmental benefit. It's frankly sort of a ride along. It's the added benefit that uh, wasn't the primary reason why the farmer adopted it but they certainly should take credit for it. And what we want to make sure with this study is that the industry and the farmers are getting credit for the good work that they're doing because, um, you know, they're doing it for, for economic reasons, but there's obviously a societal benefit uh, that, that, that they need to get credit for. And we're doing our best to tell that story to all that will listen, you know, certainly telling it to farmers, but really telling it to uh, policymakers and to, uh, opinion makers and the, and the food industry all across the board to say, hey, we kind of got this as farmers. We're, we're doing a good job in letting technology help solve this challenge that we have ahead of us, which is you know, dealing with a, with a good, clean environment and all of the, the, the conservation practices that farmers have been employing for decades and centuries. Yeah, I, I call this time right now with the new Congress and the new administration focused on climate issues. This is show-and-tell time for agriculture, and this is the type of uh, information, the story that needs to be told, and it's good that this study is out. Couldn't be more timely than this. I mean, it comes just at the right time in, in making that case for agriculture as these decisions are being made. Kurt, always good to talk with you. We'll talk again soon about the, the latest uh, sales numbers. Thanks a lot. 
You bet. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Kurt Blades, Executive Vice President of Agriculture for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Well, that wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, an update on how the rural health care system is continuing to deal with COVID, where we're at with vaccinations, all those issues. That's coming up tomorrow. Also, look at these uh, immigration proposals, how they could impact the ag labor situation, and more market analysis and outlook as well. All coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.